We've just concluded a four-part series of Christmas messages focusing on worship. Jesus is worthy of our worship. We studied that in four different ways. And there's also another fundamentally important part of the earthly life of Christ, which is seldom addressed. It's likely that most of you have never actually studied or heard a message on the, the subject of the private years, the private years, the quiet, the silent years of Christ. Guys, bring that up. There we go, the private years uh, of Christ. If you turn to Luke chapter 2, <coughs> verses 21 to 52, this is the time before his public ministry began, the time when he was a baby to the time that he was baptized. So it doesn't, what I want to share and during this segment of his earthly ministry, doesn't include his public ministry. It's before that. It's following the birth and up until the time that his public ministry begins. So it was from when he was a baby to the time just when he was baptized. From incarnation into the world to introduction uh, for the world. In fact, the private years, and I thought about this, I just, I just stumbled across uh, this thought. I don't think I read it. Uh, this very week, that 90%, 90% of the earthly ministry pilgrimage of Christ consumed the private years, or better stated, the private years made up 90% of the totality of his life. He lived about how many years on earth? 33-ish. And the private or silent years, or the behind-the-scenes years, whatever term you'd like to use, made up about 90% of that time. And yet, we never hear anything about this particular, hardly ever hear anything about this particular time period. And so, I want to bring a full message on this very subject, the private years, the silent years, the quiet years, the behind-the-scenes years, whatever term, and really I could say decades, because it consumed about 30 years, three decades of his earthly life. You follow what the setting is? So in case you haven't considered this, let's just read the narrative in Luke 2, <coughs> excuse me, beginning in verse 21. And when the eight days were accomplished for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, who was so named by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And it was as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And by the way, that was the lowest amount that could be given. Typically, a, a lamb was given as an offering, but there was a provision made in uh, the Mosaic law that for those who were especially poor, those who uh, especially were struggling, uh, they could offer 
these two much, much less expensive, if you will, of an offering. And by virtue of this being stated in the narrative dealing with uh, the presentation of Christ in the temple, it's all but certain that that's precisely what Joseph and Mary did. They could not afford a lamb. They could not afford a, a, a sacrificial animal, which was generally and typically offered, but they had to opt for the, uh, the lowest. These were the poor of the poor, financially speaking. Remember, the wise men had not yet come. They had not yet arrived. They had not yet come bringing gold and frankincense and myrrh. And so Mary and Joseph, being a long way from where they grew up, up in Nazareth, up north in Galilee, down in Bethlehem, literally alone, probably teenagers with a brand new baby, they were able to scrape up enough money to buy a couple of the lowest priced offerings. Did you follow that? Did you pick up on that? By virtue of it being stated, it's all but certain that that's what they offered. (coughs) Verse 25, and behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. The same man was righteous, devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Spirit that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace. According to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against, against him. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, 84 years, who departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she, coming in that instant, gave thanks likewise unto the Lord, who spoke of all who looked for, uh, looked for redemption in Jerusalem. And when they had performed all the things according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey. That is, in in the entourage of people who were leaving, they presumed he was there. Um, But they, supposing him to be uh, in the company, uh, went a day's journey. And they sought him among their kinfolk and acquaintances. And when they found him not, they returned back to Jerusalem seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were amazed at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto unto them, How is it that you sought me? Know you not that I must be about my father's business? 
and they understood not the saying which he spoke unto them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. I want us to look briefly at three aspects of the private years, the silent years, the -the behind-the-scenes years, uh, and then spend a minute on the significance and the importance of it. First of all, his identification. We see in verse 21 of the text, the eight days were accomplished and they went to Jerusalem for the circumcision. Circumcision was a requirement of the law. It was a requirement of the law of Moses for every newborn uh, baby boy. It identified that uh, baby as part of God's covenant people. In fact, it was established, not established in the law, but established as a practice uh, with the Abrahamic covenant. When Abraham uh, became um, uh, became uh, the, the leader, the head of the chosen people. God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant, therefore thou and thy seed after thee in their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and the seed after thee. Every male child among you shall be circumcised, and you shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant between you and me and you. And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you, every male child in your generations. He that is born in the house or bought with money of of any stranger, which is not thy seed, he that is born in thy house and he that is bought with thy money must needs be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the circumcised male child whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised that soul shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant. So clearly, uh, this is saying uh, uh, at the very beginning uh, of, the, of the ethnicity of Israel, that is the father of Israel, Abraham, this is to be a point of identification. You are my covenant people, and this is how it's to be established. I mean, uh, this is a radical thing to do, especially to uh, uh, an uh, older man such as Abraham, uh, and then every male child born following that. Then it was established in the law of Moses in Leviticus 12, verses 1 uh, through 3, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If a woman hath conceived seed and bore a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days. According to the days of separation of her infirmity, shall she be unclean. And in the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin, the baby boy, shall be circumcised. So circumcision was to be accomplished when a baby boy was eight days old as a sign of identifying with the Abrahamic covenant, namely the special relationship that God had with national Israel uh, as a, a privileged people. You've not, uh, uh, I've not chosen you because you're mightier, smarter, more number, or anything else, or, or, or more righteous. That's not why I've chosen you. I have chosen you simply because I have determined to set my love upon you. And by the way, you are also chosen if you're a child of God. Amen. You hath he chosen. You hath he quickened. He did it. You hath he granted faith and repentance through no effort of your own. And so he chose them as a national people. Now, Jesus was born a Jew, obviously. We know that. Therefore, the Mosaic law had to be kept in his life. And yet he's eight days old. How is he to keep 
the Mosaic law? Well, it was kept for him through the instrumentality of his parents. Galatians 4.4, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law. And by the way, the word made here in these two places, made of a woman made under the law, is not the word for creation. Jesus did not come into being uh, in Bethlehem. He's the ancient of days, he always, whose beginning uh, is from old, from everlasting. The word is, uh, the word has the, the uh, carries the idea of to come forth. He came forth from a woman. He came forth while he was under the law. Uh, it's that kind of an understanding. So Jesus was born a Jew and he was under the law. Joseph and Mary, had very much a part of this, a privilege, unparalleled privilege part of overseeing the God-man during his private years. What a responsibility that they had, and yet what a great privilege. Like Joseph and Mary, and I trust uh, you join me in this, you want to be faithful as they were. Now look at how, the, uh, as it were, the deck was stacked against them. They're out of their area. They don't know anyone. They're very young, inexperienced, don't have any money to speak of, not really traveled a long way, had a new baby, were not actually married at all in the sight of, of man and, and God. They were a spouse. This was a, a virgin conception and birth. Knew her not till her firstborn son uh, uh, came, uh, came in uh, onto the scene. And yet they walked by faith every step of the way. May we do likewise. So his identification as being under the Mosaic law was fulfilled by uh, and through the instrumentality of his parents. And then his presentation we see in verses 22 to 24, verses 39 to 40, and this is the part of the Mosaic law in uh, Leviticus 12, which required that boy babies be presented to the Lord in the tabernacle or in the temple at at a later time, uh, and a lamb was to be brought for a burnt offering, and details are in the book of Leviticus, or as I mentioned, a dove or pigeon could be offered in its place. These, this family was poor, and so they offered the two doves or the two pigeons, and that was accepted. Thomas Constable, theologian, observed, in the case of the firstborn son, the parents were to present him to the Lord, and these verses uh, qualify that, The parents would normally redeem the son, that is, buy him back by paying five shekels for him, uh, as is recorded in Numbers chapter 18 and verse 16. You say, what's that have to do with? Well, when a a baby boy was brought to the temple, he was circumcised at eight days old and presented to the Lord. God, this, this child belongs to you, unless you were inclined to pay an offering five shekels and redeem the child back to your family, which would, and God allowed for that. That's absolutely fine. You could do that. He gave provision in that in the book of Numbers, which means he would not be serving the Lord in the tabernacle or in the temple, whether a priest or not, a part of the priestly tribe, uh, there were still jobs to do. He would not be doing that if the family bought him back, redeemed him back. Can you think of an example in Scripture where a a male child was not redeemed back and was given to the service of the Lord all his days? Samuel. That's exactly right. In in her prayer, Hannah said, uh, uh, God, 
if you will give me a, a, a son, I will give him. He will be yours all the days of his life. In other words, I will not, we will not, Elkanah and Hannah, we will not redeem him back, which they could have done. Well, again, Joseph and Mary fulfilled this perfectly in the life of Jesus. Joseph was told by the angel before the conception in Matthew 121 that when the baby would come, he was to be called and named Jesus in Matthew 125. In fact, he obeyed. His name was Jesus. Jehovah is salvation. And so we see Joseph uh, keeping uh, the law, keeping the word of the Lord. He went to the temple on the eighth day, again, keeping the law by Jesus. Now, who took Jesus to the temple on the eighth day? Who took him? Joseph alone. Why? Mary was ceremonially unclean, ceremonially unclean. Y'all follow that? And then she came in after the time of her purification for the presentation 33 days later. And so uh, you say, preacher, why, why are you dealing with the minutia of this? I'll get to that. I'll get to why this is fundamentally critical to our faith and why it matters. So Joseph fulfilled his part of keeping the law. <clears throat> Jesus was not redeemed back. Um, in fact, he, uh, this was not a time of him being uh, 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 purchased back, but as being consecrated to the Lord. Let me share uh, a good insight that I, uh, Howard Marshall, has on this. He wrote, it could be paid to a priest. That is the redemption price anywhere. The fact that the scene of the present incident is the temple, no ransom price is mentioned, and the child is present, it shows that Jesus is not being redeemed, but being consecrated to the Lord. So even as an infant, uh, Joseph and then Mary uh, presented Jesus, and they were not going to claim to keep him. Uh, he was going to be used uh, of the Heavenly Father, uh, utilized by the Heavenly Father in our redemption, his presentation in the temple. His identification, Joseph took him, fulfilled the law. His presentation, Joseph and Mary presented him uh, in and could have redeemed him back for their own purposes, and of course, they did not. And then we see at the end of this chapter, his submission. And, and what an amazing thing it is that the God-man was under parental rule, under parental authority and other authorities uh, at the end of this chapter. Uh, I like what uh, MacArthur wrote. His obedience, Jesus, to the fifth commandment, that is obeying, honoring father and mother, was an essential part of the perfect legal obedience he rendered on our behalf he had to fulfill all righteousness. Now I ask you, uh, where is the, the mention in the Mosaic law of honoring mother and father? It's called what in the Ten Commandments? How many of you have perfectly honored father and mother in your life? None of us have. In fact, we have done, in many cases, dis we've treated them despitefully shame, uh, shamefully. And yet Jesus from an infant and in all of those years 
perfectly honored him, and in our text, it reveals that. Now, verse 48, I want you to look at that because it's, uh, it, it seems to be a little bit difficult with that, with that subject. Verse 48, uh, when Joseph and Mary saw him, they were astonished. His mother said, why have you done to this to us? Uh, they were sorrowing. It is not indicating that he rebelled. Sim- Mary simply uh, expressed fear like any other mother would when leaving a child. Don't raise your hand. But have you ever left one of your kids at church? I have. Uh, uh, we got about, uh, about 35 years ago. We got, we got back home uh, after church. The family did. And we all got out of the car. Uh, all four little ones, or so we thought. And uh, five minutes later, uh, w- one of the uh, workers in uh, the uh, preschool uh, Sunday school extended care uh, called, and I answered the phone. Uh, did you mean to leave? Um, and I won't name the child for fear of there being still psychological issues there. <laughs> Did you mean to leave this one, uh, one of your own? I said, um, we didn't mean to. I'll be right there. And so uh, it's that kind of a thing. That kind of thing happens. It just does. Well, it happened with Joseph and Mary. And Jesus took advantage of that opportunity. It wasn't like he was running away or rebelling. Uh, he was left. And... Uh, and you know how when, as a parent, uh, you're real, real fearful, you lose your, your kid at the mall, uh, and you're, you're just frantically trying to find him or her, uh, and then as soon as you see Johnny or, 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 or Sally uh, at, the, at, the, uh, at the candy uh, aisle, what is your reaction? Rage! <laughs> you about killed me! <laughs> and, uh, and so Mary, uh, of course, and Joseph... They were, uh, they were reacting in that way. Jesus, though, was not dishonoring them in any way, shape, or form. In fact, uh, verse 52 says, he continued to grow in wisdom, stature uh, with God and man. Folks, if the God-man humbled himself under fallen parents, that is, parents who sinned, and he grew mentally and spiritually and, and, and in every other way, that says something to me about what ought to be the direction in my life. Amen? And ought to, if he did that, then I too need to be mighty in spirit and growing in that way and pursuing that particular um, goal, if you will. Okay, now why is this all important? Well, it's all important because during those private years, those 30 years, 90% of his life, he also had to be perfect during those times, he was tempted to hurt a younger brother or sister. And he went on to have siblings. Mary and Joseph had children. Uh, uh, as much as our Catholic friends don't want to uh, come to that understanding, Scripture is very clear on that, uh, that she was not perpetually a virgin. Don't know her until Jesus is born. And that intimates that there is going to be intimacy uh, following that. Uh, And in fact, there were uh, any number of children born uh, after that. He was tempted to tattle on them. He was tempted to uh, whatever it might be, tempted to lie to his parents, tempted in any number of ways. And yet he was without sin. We can't claim that. For James 2.10 says, for whoever will keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. So the entire weight of God's condemnation hangs over the heads of sinners, but not over the head of Christ 
for he fulfilled it perfectly. In fact, he said in the Sermon on the Mount, when he was demonstrating to people uh, that you don't measure up, you don't keep the law, but I have and I will, he said, I, don't, I didn't come to destroy the law or the prophets. I didn't come to destroy, but to fulfill. And he did exactly that. He fulfilled the law of God. The religious leaders accused him of sin, and yet he challenged them in John 8, 46, Who, which of you convicts me of sin? You, you've accused me, but let's see evidence of that. Pilate said later, I find no fault in him. And 1 Peter 2, 22 uh, describes the Lord Jesus as one who did no sin, neither was guile, that is, um, uh, uh, falsity found in his mouth. And so the law was fulfilled in the life of Christ through his identification as an Israelite, through circumcision, through his presentation in the temple, uh, not, purchased, not purchased back, not bought back by his family, and by his submission to earthly authority. To what degree was it fulfilled? Well, to the degree that on the cross, he cried out, say it with me, it is finished. I have completed the totality of it. I have kept every aspect of the Mosaic law. And only then could he bring an offering which would be acceptable. In fact, it is so acceptable that Hebrews 10, 14 tells us, for by one offering, he, Christ, hath perfected, that is made complete forever, those who have been sanctified, those he has made holy how did he do it? Hebrews 9:12 tells us that by his own blood he entered into the holy place having obtained eternal redemption for us. So why did this baby boy grow up and perfectly follow the law and completely fulfill it? The reason why, folks, is because I couldn't and you couldn't. Uh, and this was in the mind of God, the plan of God, uh, God uh, foreordained uh, in eternity past that in the course of time, he would provide that, that way of, of, of escape for me, for you. Galatians 2.16 says, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. He didn't need to be justified, for he alone is the just one. He alone is the righteous one. I needed to be made righteous. I needed to be justified because I never was. In fact, we stood cur cursed and condemned because of the law, because Galatians 3.10 says, cursed is everyone that continues not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Folks, outside of Christ, people are cursed, because, not because God is unloving, but because God is holy. He is just, and they have sinned, and you sinned as well. But he took your place. You couldn't be made perfect. The law made no one perfect. Christ was already perfect, Hebrews 7 and verse 19, <clears throat> he had already sinlessly, uh, lived sinlessly, perfect, before the law. Therefore, he was able to satisfy the righteous demands of that law. Romans 7, 12 says, the law is holy. 
the commandment holy and just and good, it damns and it condemns mankind because we cannot obey it. So from the very beginning, being virgin conceived of the Holy Spirit, virgin born, eight days circumcised, 33 days later presented by his parents, not purchased back for use of the family, uh, but, but consecrated unto the Lord, and then submitting to all authorities, including the law of Moses, with perfection for 30 years. That is what it took. And then his public ministry for the next three years, ultimately dying in our place, is what it took to redeem us. In fact, Galatians 3.13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? Becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. And so, folks, in a very real sense, theologically speaking, when he hung on the cross, your sin debt was on him. You were being crucified with him, yet he was the one who lived in perfection, didn't deserve to die, did die, so that my penalty could rest upon him. He was the cursed one. I was the one who was forgiven and redeemed and set free. To God be the glory for his kindness toward us. And all of that, those 30 years, that 90% of his earthly life was just as important as the last 10% because had he not lived as he did in those 90% of his life, then his offering would not have been acceptable at the end of his earthly pilgrimage. 2 Corinthians 5.21, our final verse says, He, Christ, who knew no sin, that is, he was perfect, he completely fulfilled the righteous demands of the law, became sin for us. Who's the us? Those who would believe. That we, that is those who have believed, might be made righteous in the eyes of God by virtue of what he has done. What did he do? He died in my place, yes, but he lived in perfection for 30 years before the public ministry ever started, which is why John the Baptist uh, could proclaim at the beginning of the earthly ministry of Christ, I must decrease, he must increase. And oh, by the way, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, those who believe in the world. At the point of salvation, a transaction was made. When I believed my sin debt which is an eternity in hell. My sin debt, the penalty, the wages of sin is death, was traded for his righteousness. I only thing I offered at salvation was depravity. Lord, I'm depraved, I'm lost, I, I, I don't measure up, and you did. And your offering was acceptable by virtue of the resurrection from the dead. By faith, I'm asking you. I'm calling upon you. Apply that to my account. For I 
I'm bankrupt. I am worse than bankrupt. I'm bankrupt, and I'm in debtor's prison to an infinite degree. It could, I could work for eternity and never, ever dig out of sinful debt. But in the course of 33 years, having lived perfectly, being offered as a bloody sacrifice, bearing the curse of sin, I believed. I think that is too easy. How can that be? Folks, salvation is entirely free, but it's not cheap. Grace is free, but it's not cheap grace. He paid the price. And if I will but turn a believing heart to him and say, yes, Lord Jesus, save me, forgive me, make me your own, and bless God, by his grace and for his glory, on May 25th, 1977, uh, at 2 a.m. roughly in the morning, um, in a Navy barracks in Bethesda, Maryland, I said, I don't have any way out of this, and I'm condemned. Lord Jesus, save me. Make me your own. And if you have received him, you have your own unique testimony of when that transaction took place. Oh, you might not know the actual date. You might know your, not know your actual age, but you know that it happened. <clears throat> were you born, physically, were you born? What if you don't have a birth certificate? What if no one ever told you the date, time, place, specifics of your birth? Would you still have been born? Yes. How do you know? Because I'm here. Kogito ergo sum. I think, therefore, I am. I know I exist. <laughs> Thank you, Rene Descartes. <laughs> you know you exist. Well, do you know that you've been born again? Do you have, the, you have the characteristics of physical life? You're breathing, your heart's beating, and the like. Do you have the characteristics of spiritual life? That is, you've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Are you free in Christ? Or are you shackled with the bondage of the penalty of sin if you've never received him by faith and meant business uh, then you're still in bondage you're, you're still in a straitjacket you're still in debtor's prison and yet Christ came to set you free if you'll but turn in faith to him uh, the private years the silent years are definitely deafeningly loud they speak volumes don't they it's an important part of the gospel message